Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are going to jump right in to um, our uh, parsha this morning. We um, have not, we didn't meet Thanksgiving, so we missed a big chunk of what's been going on. That's the problem with Genesis is that we study it at a time where we're taking a bunch of time off often. So we kind of have missed some of the major blocks of what's happening in um, Genesis so much so that, well, I guess we had, we had Rebecca last week, right? Rebecca was found as a bride for Isaac. Um, in the meantime, they have had two sons Rebecca has one pregnancy. She has trouble getting pregnant. This is the theme for all of our matriarchs. They all have trouble with fertility. Um, this is one of the um, important parts of a story that's going to be about a hero or a heroine. For the hero, his life is in danger. For the heroine um, in the ancient world, it's that she has trouble conceiving. And so there's got to be some magical, right, you know, um, answer to that. So we saw that with Sarah. We also see it with Rebecca. She has a challenge getting pregnant. She has one pregnancy. She has twins. Um, she goes to seek an omen. That's a very interesting thing right there. Like, what does that mean? Um, uh, to inquire of God. And she, um, is told she has twins and that they're fighting within her. Um, clearly she's in some pain. Um, because she says, if that's what's going to be like, what good is essentially what good is my life? So those twins come out. They do indeed. They are indeed rivals. Mom and dad don't help. Dad has a favorite, which is Asav, And mom's favorite is Yaakov. And the two are constantly at odds. Um, Rebecca helps Jacob. Jacob tricks his brother out of his birthright. And then Rebecca helps her son, Jacob, who was the second born twin. Um, by a few minutes, but it doesn't matter. He's now the second born and Asav is the firstborn. And she helps her son trick her elder son out of the birthright. The, I mean, the blessing from Jacob that make, that is the blessing to the patriarch of the tribe. And because of that, Asav is murderous and Rebecca overhears him saying he's going to kill Jacob. So, uh, Rebecca tells Yaakov he needs to run. And he should go to her family in Haran, her um, her family, so that he can hide out until Esav has calmed down, and then he can come home. What we know, of course, is that um, Yaakov winds up in Haran for 20 years um, and doesn't see Rebecca again. So there's lots to unpack that we do um, as you know a people, a lot to unpack about Jacob and about Rebecca and about favoritism and about what it means to, you know, manipulate within the system the way you can as a woman, um, as a second born. Our stories are full of second borns or youngest, think Joseph, um, you know, becoming the heir. Um, and so it's about overturning the order of things. Um, women have to work within the system and use the kinds of power that they have, soft power. Um, Re Rebecca does that. Um, obviously the tradition thinks she was right. There's nothing about the tradition that thinks Yaakov was not the right person to be the patriarch. Um, but it's interesting that Torah creates the story in such a way that Rebecca has to trick her own husband into, um, giving her son the blessing of the patriarchate. Okay. So that's where we are. 
So we are at Rebecca telling um, Yaakov he needs to run and run Ducharan. And so um, that is where we're going to pick up our text this morning, the beginning of Parshat Vayetze. Vayetze Yaakov mi Beersheva, Vayelech Harana. So he's in Beersheva. That's where um, Yaakov is. And he sets out for Haran, right? He's heading north to his mother's family. He came upon a certain place and stopped there for the night, for the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of that place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. So this is not the normal verb for to arrive at a place. Um, Barry can check me, um, but you've got this, this has the sense of kind of crashing into something that's moving towards you. So Vayifga is not like he was walking and then he alit upon the place. That is not this, this verb. It, it's weird um, that it's used here, but of course that's an invitation for the rabbis. Um, Vayifga is kind of like he crashed into it. And that is the sense of what happens. The rabbis, of course, do not understand this as an accident, that there's a reason that this word is used. Um, and that's because it's a very particular place that he is. It's the place that, that God wants him to be. There's lots of discussion in the literature, in the Midrashic literature, about what this place is. Most want to make it Har Hamoriah. They want to make it the place where the temple will be built, where uh, Isaac was almost sacrificed. And they look at the weird um, grammar also of he slept there, Kiva Hashemesh, because the sun had set. So the pluperfect is really not how you would write this. You would usually write it, the sun set and so he stopped and slept. But it said, but the sun had set. And so the rabbis say, well, because this is created in unusual parlance, it must mean something unusual happened. And they agree that it means God made the sun set early so that Jacob would stop here because God wanted him to stop and spend the night. So God made the sun set super early. So like he was in Duluth. All right. Um, so he lies down and he, he takes a stone and puts it under his head. So most of us do not choose to put a rock under our head to go to sleep. Um, things have not changed that much. Heads have not changed that much in 3000 years. Still, even then they would not have chosen a rock most likely. So some people, my teacher of blessed memory, Tikva Farmerkensky said, this is dream incubation. Jacob is putting a stone under his head so that he does not <coughs> fall into a deep sleep. He stays in that kind of um, middle ground where you kind of are sort of asleep, sort of awake. So you can kind of remember what's happening. You can do lucid dreaming um, or dream incubation, the kind of dream that would be about an omen. That's one opinion. Um, in any case, he puts a stone under his head, and he dreams. And behold, there's a sulam, there's a ladder 
Mutsav Arutza. It's, it's, remember the word Nitzav? Atem Nitzavim Kuchem Hayom. All y'all are standing here today, but it's not the normal word for standing. It's that, it's that very rooted word. Um, that's this verb that it's sort of rooted towards the earth. And its top, its head, <coughs> is reaching towards the heavens. And behold, messengers of Elohim are going up and coming down on it. On what? That's the question. Bo can mean on it, or it can mean on him. Some interpretations want to say they're going up and down Jacob. Um, most agree they're going up and down on the Sulam, on the ladder. Okay. The Hine and behold. So a lot of this Hine stuff, right? A lot of behold, 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 right? Or yo, Hine is an attention getting word. Yo, y'all, right? Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. All right, what are we supposed to pay attention to now? yud hey vav nitzav alav. Again, this word nitzav, right? We've had this word a lot. So yud hey vav nitzav alav. On, literally on what? Can be it, can be him. So if it's it, if yud hey vav is standing on it, what is it? Um, it can be the ladder. Could be, I guess, the rock. If it's on him, then God is standing on Jacob. Okay, so we don't know exactly. Look at the text. Look at your translation. And standing beside him was Yudhei How do they get that? Right? It's on him. On it. It's not next to him. So we don't know. Is God on the ladder? Is God on the ground? Is God on Yaakov? We don't know. Vayomar. But remember, this is a dream sequence. So remember when you wake up from a dream, remember how nothing really makes sense when you wake up? Like it's like it doesn't make sense in the real world, but in the dream it made total sense. Things are just kind of murky and unclear in dreams. One of the literary ways that Torah expresses something that's completely out of the ordinary is that it doesn't really follow. And so we have here um, this business that um, it's it's all kind of confusing, right? We had this with Sinai, remember? Up and down and up and down and down and up and come up, but he's already down, but he's up. So we've got that same thing happening here in the in the language, and it kind of is unclear what's going on. But what's clear is God speaks and says, Ani Adonai Elohe Abraham Avicha Elohe Yitzchak. So I am Yudhe Vavhe. And just so we're clear, says God, the God of Abraham, your ancestor, the Elohe Yitzchak, and the God of Yitzchak. And of course, Yaakov knows who that is. Um, so this land that you are laying on, to you will I give it and to your seed. Your seed shall be as the dust of the earth. Yama vakedma vitsafona venegba venivrechuvacha kol mishpechota adama uvizarecha. So this is a rem, this is a reminder, a, not a remnant, a, um, 
my brain is not functioning. Um, the, this reminds us of the words that were said to Avraham. <laughs> Yitzchak is, uh, Yaakov is told, Ufaratsta. So this Ufaratsta is a, is a very active verb. So you shall spread out can, can sound like, okay, we're going to conquer the West. You know, it's going to be slow and steady. Uh-uh. Ufaratsta is, is like when a pod bursts forth and the seeds like, Boom, you like come out, right? So it, it's this sense of like exploding in every direction. Yama, right? Ocean word. Kedma, Safona, Venegba. So, um, all directions. Um, and so you have to know where he is to know how to treat these, but Negev obviously is south. So we get north, south, east, and west. So all this land that you can see is going to belong to you and your seed and you and and all the all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and your seed the same thing that was said to Avraham right they will be blessed through you and behold i am with you i will protect you wherever you go and i will bring you back to this land remember he's heading north he's heading to haran but god promises i'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Vayikatz Yaakov Mishnato. Yaakov kind of startles awake. This is not a slow stretch and a cup of coffee and a piece of toast and, you know, Mark's bagel and cream cheese. This is not that. This is Vayikatz Yaakov. He like, boom. You know, when you're in a dream and you like sit up and you're like gasping for air, that's the kind of sense of this word um, from his sleep. <clears throat> and he says, this is Yaakov talking, achain, um, a kind of an emphasis word. Yesh va'anochi lo yadati. Literally, yesh Adonai ba'makom hazeh. There is yudhe in this place. Va'anochi you can use the disjunctive or the conjunctive. I use the disjunctive here, uh, meaning, but I didn't know it. You can say, and I didn't know it. But the way it's written, va'anochi lo yadati. You don't need anochi here. You can just say, um, lo yadati, and I didn't know. But anochi is another word for I. Yadati is I didn't know. It built into the yadati, that yud at the end of yadati makes it I. The verb matches the goof, the person. You don't need anochi. So it's a department of redundancy department. So what it reads is, surely yud is in this place. There is yud in this place. But I, I didn't know. So the rabbis have to ask, why does it say, I, I didn't know if he's talking, who else would not know, right? Like it's got, okay. So we're going to, we'll spend some time on that. Vayir'ah, right? And he was in awe. He was in dread. Vayomer, and he said, Vayomar, and he says, Ma nora hamakom hazeh. Those of y'all who have worked with me for a while, we've chanted this more than once. Ma nora hamakom hazeh. How awesome is this makom, is this place? 
This is nothing other than the house of God, of Elohim. And this is the gateway to heaven. And Yaakov got up early in the morning. What does that mean? That means his waking up was not in the morning. He woke up in the middle of the night when he had this dream. He goes back to sleep and he wakes up early in the morning and he takes the Evan, he takes the stone that he had put under his head and he makes out of it a matseva, a um, monument. Vayitzok shemen al rosho and pours um, oil on top of it. I don't think we can miss vayitzok. Sounds like yitzchak. I don't think we can, you can't just read past that, right? There's no way. So vayitzok, he takes uh, oil and he anoints the matseva. Vayikrat shema makomahu beit el. And he calls the place beit el, Bethel. Vaulam luz shem ha'ir um, Rusha. And the, um, previously the name of that city had been Luz. All right. And then Jacob makes a vow and we're going to, I don't think we're going to get that far. All right. So the biggest place, first of all, a couple of questions the rabbis have looking at this text. Um, and then I want to hear any questions you have. The rabbis ask, first of all, Yaakov lies down. Yaakov has this dream and he sees Mal Achim, he sees angels on a ladder whose bottom is reaching towards the ground, its top is reaching towards the heavens, and angels, malachim, are going up and coming down. So one of the first questions the rabbis have is, why isn't it the other way around? If these are malachim, shouldn't they be coming down and going up? Shouldn't they be coming from God and then going back up? Aren't they like, so why is it that they are olim v'yordim, going up and coming down? That's one question. The other, of course, is Torah never is redundant. God forbid. So Anochi lo yadati is department of redundancy department. Torah doesn't do that. Torah knows lo yadati is enough. And so why write this double I, but I, I did not know. Lots of our um, spiritual teachers have lots to say about this, but I want to hear, what do y'all think? Why does it start Olim Viordim? They're going up and coming down and not the other way around. So they live among us. Okay, so Mehmet, you're saying they live among us. The Malachim are here. So the, if the Malachim need to go back to God, they're going to go up first, check in with the boss, and then come back down. Is that what you're saying, Mehmet? They start here because they're already, they're here. And then they're going to go up and check in and come back. Okay. Nice. Lynn? That's what I was going to say. All right. Love that. We Jews think alike. I love that. Um, all right. So that, so intuitively, two of you got it instantly. That the, that if we're going to look at the order of the text, it seems to be suggesting that Malachim are here. They're stationed here. What good are Malachim in the heavens? 
right? They make up the angelic chorus that say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh all day long. Right? That's what the angel's job is, is to say kadosh, kadosh, kadosh all day long. Um, that's kind of their job. Um, and that's why, right, when we're in the Amida and we get to the Kedusha and we say that line, we lift our hands and we rise up onto our toes three times because we are joining the angelic chorus for that one line of the Kedusha. We are doing the same thing the angels are doing all the time. A little bit of prayer choreography. So um, so that is why we raise up on our toes during the Kedusha. Um, but like Malachim have work to do other than just praise God all the time. Or, or why call them messengers? They're not messengers if they're praising God all the time. The one, when they have a job, it's to bring messages, presumably, to earth so that they are engaged in their work and that work is here. And so Malachim are all around us all the time. What happens in this occasion is that my teacher, again, Tikfer Farmer Kensky of Blessed Memory, said that in most traditions, there's an understanding that sacred space is about the veil being thinner in that space than it is everywhere else. What is the veil? The veil between this reality and the reality we don't normally apprehend, right? The reality that we can't see, but that's happening all the time. And what happens is that God makes the sun set because God wants Yaakov to sleep in that spot because that spot, Bethel, Bethel, that spot is one of those spots where the veil is very thin and it allows Yaakov, once he enters this semi-awake, semi-asleep state, it enables him to see on the other side of the veil. So it's kind of like lifting the curtain and seeing all the stuff that's happening backstage. It's always happening. That's how you get the performance, right? Is somebody's doing the lights and somebody is pulling frantically to get that next scenery out. And, but we don't see that part usually. So he's able to see what's happening all the time that Malachim are Olim v'yordim. They are going up and down constantly doing their doing their work. Bert? Is there any sense that the messages are going up and that the, the messages that the Malachim carry are not just in one direction? So very good, very astute. So Bert's asking if they're going up, are they maybe doing work when they're going up? Like not just checking in, but doing the work of carrying messages. And what do you think the rabbis answer, Bert? I think yes, and they're carrying the messages of prayer. Mm, how very rabbinic. Um, indeed. The rabbis say, of course, they're taking messages up. They have to carry all of our prayers with them, right? They have to, they have to bring all of our prayers up to God. There's a beautiful midrash, several beautiful midrashim that I love. Someday I'm going to preach on them at the high holidays. Um, one metaphor I love is that, um, there are angels who are assigned to carry human prayer to God because each human prayer is part of the crown that the angels make for God every day. So God's crown, God's keter, is made out of the prayers of the Jewish people every day. And another one is that each prayer of a human being is a pearl 
on the necklace that the angels make for the Shekhinah. So the divine presence, a feminine image, of course, that the Shekhinah wears a necklace made of all of the prayers of the Jewish people every day. So there's a very vivid sense for the rabbis of prayer being carried literally up to the Kaddosh Baruch Hu or to the Shekhinah, which are both very beautiful images, I think. George? Uh, they named it Bethel, which means the house of God, and that it probably means everywhere, that the uh, Malachim, uh, the angels are everywhere, uh, bringing prayers and doing whatever else they do. So tell me what what triggers your use of everywhere, meaning he's seeing it in one spot, but it's happening in all spots. Yes, uh, I, as a what it means as a more general statement. Okay, so that that Beinel is not a specific place. It's that he he recognizes suddenly that where that where he is, Earth. Yes. is God's house. Right. The world is God's house. Beautiful, George. Many of the rabbis, that's exactly where they go. They go exactly where you just went. And they say, why is that such a big deal? Obviously, this is God's place. Duh. Um, but they say, uh-uh. Because you might think that God dwells here. But that's not true. We dwell in God. And that's what Yaakov realizes, is that the world exists within God. The world is Beit El, you know, is the house of God, meaning it it dwells in God. The world is not the place of God. That's why the word makom is used. God is the makom. God is the place in which Beit El, the world, the house of God exists. Does that make sense? Hamakom. He, he says, Hamakom Hazet. God was in this Makom and I didn't know it. What he's saying, say the rabbis, is what you said, George, is that God doesn't exist here. God is the Makom. Makom means place. And we call God Hamakom, the place. So the rabbis say what Jacob realizes is God is the Makom. God is the place, capital P, and everything exists within that, and therefore it is the house of God because it exists within the divine. So beautiful, George. Very rabbinic. I'm loving that. You're becoming a rabbi. I'm loving it. Dave. Amy, that's a beautiful uh, uh, thought, and is it consistent with the view that God then owns the earth and it's... We're living in the house of God. Yes. And, and the rabbis take it one step further that we are living in God. Yes. That all of the world, all of the world is filled with God's presence. But George's insight is what the rabbis are saying. This is about is that God is the makom of the world. God is the place of the world, meaning the world exists within God. So how could any place be empty of God's presence? if it all exists within God. And for me, this is actually one of the most profound images that works for me theologically. Like when I think of the divine, 
how could the world, how could any part of the world not contain God, given that we exist, the universe exists within God, right? God is within and bigger than. That for me is an image of the divine that works, you know, that God is the makom of the universe, not the other way around, that, you know, we exist within the divine bubble. And that is a beautiful image to me and, and works when I think about, you know, images of divinity and metaphors that, that are pointing metaphors, metaphor language is all about pointing towards most of the stuff we talk about in religion is ineffable. Go, go explain why you love someone, right? Words don't really get at the kind of stuff religion is dealing with. So at best we have things that point towards it. And so one of the pointers that is really helpful for me is this idea that we exist. The universe exists within God. That is something that is, it is very profound and moving for me. Judith and then Lisa. Um, maybe this is, is maudlin and off the point, but I feel this, this angel um, part of what we're reading today personally and always have. I've kept a book since I was much younger of the angels in my life, people who have appeared with messages either directly or indirectly that have made a change and directed me in a certain way. And I I feel that angels are around all the time. We just have to be aware of them. Very nice. Thank you, Judith. Lisa Rosenbaum. Yeah. um, I just want to get back to that notion that you raised before about there being a thin veil in some more sacred places. How does that jive with the idea that God is in the whole world? Why do we need these vortexy kind of places? I mean, that's what it sounds like. Yeah. And it's interesting Um, that we have the same notion as other cultures that there are these sacred spaces. Right. So it's not that God is more present in those places necessarily. It's that human beings can apprehend that other realm better in a place where the veil is thinner. In other words, it's happening everywhere. Like George said, it's happening everywhere all the time. But if you stand in Jerusalem, you're able Mm -hmm. to apprehend what's happening a little better than in the mall in Century City. Okay, I'll buy that. Right? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. Um, Susan Cohen is saying those places exist. I have visited more than one. Right. So there is a sense, and I think it's. I think it's. You know, we've talked about terrestrial human culture. You know, THC, that which is um, universal to every human culture that's ever existed. I think this is one of those things that's part of THC. This idea that there are places that are different. And it's not just the view, like the vista, that, that, that too, but there are places that I think Jerusalem is one of them. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the reasons it's been fought over so much. There's a, there are places where the energy, if you want to use that word, is just different. And sometimes that's, I think, because human beings have put that energy on it. And so it collects it. Jerusalem is one of those cases as well. But I think there are places that, because every single culture seems to understand that. Right. That there are places where it's not that God is more there. It's that human beings can access or apprehend that more easily, more easily in those places where that veil is thinner. And that's certainly true for our tradition. Um, these places that we're that we're reading about. Right. And that we see in Torah. OK, 
Um, so I want to go to that second piece. So God, he gets it. Like he's like, oh my God. And he's freaking out. And he's in complete and total awe when you come crashing into one of those experiences of knowing the divine is right here at work right now. When you apprehend, when you come crashing into that, you are not the same. In the immediate aftermath of that, there is a response. And that can be a terrible thing, like the death of someone close to us. Um, it can be meeting someone who just blows your world apart in a good way. Um, certain flavors of ice cream, just saying. Like there's times where we have these, oh my gosh, moments. And how awesome is this place, this moment, this encounter, how awesome. And we are filled with awe that is close to dread and fear because we get how small and insignificant we are and how miraculous it all is. And all of that, right? All the stuff we can't even say that happens to us when these things, these moments happen. So that isn't, that is, that makes sense that he gets it. How filled with awe is this exact makom, this place? God was here, but I, I did not know. The rabbis understand this as the only way we can ever get to where Yaakov got is for Anochi to be gone. What are they saying? Va'anochi lo yodati, but yadati, but I didn't, I, I didn't know. Meaning the only way we can have these experiences is when we get ourselves out of the way. As long as we're still aware there's a me, there isn't this kind of meeting. When we have these kinds of meetings with the divine, a divine encounter like this, by definition, I don't know it because I'm not thinking, I'm not aware that I'm having this experience. Does that make sense? George, help me. Well, sure, it's going to help. But uh, two points. One is the the places, the specific places which have greater uh, uh, appeal and intensity for us. That's like the need for an idol, something concrete, like we kiss the Torah. It's something concrete that we do. So it, it takes it out of the uh, uh, the massive, the great atmosphere and puts it in a local place that we need that. We need uh, a Torah to kiss. We need a place to be more sacred than other places. So All right. So I, I'm going to gently push back and say, I think the I think the text is going the other way. I think the text is going the exact opposite direction of that, saying there are places and moments that defy our normal human experience of things. Then we want to do what you're talking about. Then he sets up the stone as a physical marker and anoints it. And of course, later there'll be a, a shrine there. So you're not off in terms of we human beings needing that, but the text goes the other way. It says the experience 
precedes the making it a physical place. And we make it a physical place because it's a special place where something happens that's different than other places. In other words, we do have places we go, like um, Susan put one in the chat. There are places we go and we go to them because we know more, we're more likely to crash into something. Mm -hmm. It makes us, as one, of, as one of our commentators said, it makes us more accident prone, yes, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're to crash into one of these experiences and, and we seek those places um, you know, we seek the places where we might have one of those experiences. For example, going to temple, physically going to. Uh, right. Church. We're more likely to have certain kinds of experiences in this lovely sanctuary of ours. Um, right. Then we will, like I said, in Century City in the mall. Barry. So if I if I get it correctly, the, the word Anochi actually means more than just I. It means I and no one else. Like, Anochi Hashem Elokecha. So Barry's so, quoting the first commandment, Anochi Adonai, I am Adonai, meaning, duh, who else would Adonai be if not Adonai? Anochi meaning, I am the only Adonai, nobody else. It's exclusive. So, so in order to experience that higher state of, of consciousness, uh, one must let go of the um, me, myself, and I attitude. Thank you. That's what I was trying to articulate. Beautiful. Thank you. We have to let go of Anochi. We have to let go of me, myself, and I in order to have one of these experiences. One of these experiences also can cause that to happen, right? When we're in meditation and all boundaries dissolve and we stop being aware of mm -hmm. our awareness, Right. That that mystical, whatever it is. Right. You know, mystical union is about and they've studied this in the brain that the spatial awareness part of the brain like melts. So it's actually happening in the brain that we are unaware of of, of our physical boundaries. They melt away. So the, is it the cause of the effect? Obviously, the scientists want to tell us. Sorry, Bob Ettinger, that some scientists want to tell us. Well, obviously, that's because the brain is doing blah, blah, blah. So you perceive that you're in union or some of us want to argue it's what you're actually experiencing that changes the brain. The, those boundaries actually melt away because you actually are becoming more part of everything. But but Anochi can't be there. By definition, it's not that kind of experience. If you're aware, you're having it. You're only aware you Amy Bernstein are having it afterwards, right? That's why he said it in the past. But I, I didn't know it because I wasn't there. I know he wasn't there. My ego, if you want to use the language of, you know, science, my ego wasn't there. It wasn't involved. Because if your ego is involved, you, you can't, you can't have this kind of experience. It's kind of, definitive of the experience that you disappear as a separate individual and that that's the teaching right that that's what has to happen the rabbis say like barry said you have to let go of me myself and i if you really want to have an encounter with hamakom with god that we call the place mm -hmm. All right. so remember 
Each of our patriarchs is associated with one of the three times of prayer. So mm-hmm. remember we had Yitzchak out in the field? Do you remember? Yitzchak is um, like he's, he's discussing out in the field. So the rabbis say, with whom? He's alone. So of course he's praying. And that's the afternoon prayer. That's Mincha. Now we have Mariv. We have evening prayer associated here with Yaakov. So morning prayer is associated with whom? Abraham. Abraham, who gets up early in the morning, is always getting up early, is always rushing to, you know, to do the divine will. So that's morning prayer. Afternoon prayer is Yitzchak, Lasuachin in the field. And evening prayer is, what did I just say? <laughs> is <coughs> Yaakov, right? Who crashes into this place as the sun uh, is setting and then has this vision in the night. So that's important. Three times of prayer with the three patriarchs, but also three different kinds of prayer, right? Abraham is very active about it. Yitzchak is kind of hanging out. And then we have, um, then we have, uh, the accidental Yaakov crashing into it kind of prayer, which is Mariv. So let's look at some modern commentary. We're going to begin with Rabbi Jonathan Sachs from his piece, Encountering God. There is an element of the religious life that is beyond conscious control. It comes out of nowhere when we are least expecting it. If Abraham represents our journey towards God and Isaac, our dialogue with God, Jacob signifies God's encounter with us. Unplanned, unscheduled, unexpected. The vision, the voice, the call we can never know in advance, but which leaves us transformed. As for Jacob, so for us. It feels like they're waking from a sleep and realizing as if for the first time <clears throat> that, quote, God was in this place and I, I did not know it. Such experiences take place literally or metaphorically at night. They happen when we are alone, afraid, vulnerable, close to despair. It is then that when we least expect it, we can find our lives flooded by the radiance of the divine. Suddenly, with a certainty that is unmistakable, we know that we are not alone, that God is there and has been all along, but that we were too preoccupied by our own concerns to notice God. That is how Jacob found God, not by his own efforts like Abraham, not through continuous dialogue like Isaac, but in the midst of fear and isolation. Jacob in flight, trips and falls, and finds he has fallen into the waiting arms of God. No one who has had this experience ever forgets it. Now I know that you were with me all the time, but I was looking elsewhere. God can take us by surprise, waking us from our sleep, catching us as we fall. A beautiful beautiful understanding by Sachs that there are types of encounters that we have only really when we're alone and vulnerable, often afraid that it's, you know, it's the dark that, that we come crashing into. There's lots of kinds of encountering God. He's not saying it's the only kind, but he's saying there that that's what this is, that there are, there are encounters with God that take us by surprise 
and that they happen either literally or metaphorically in the dark when we're alone, vulnerable, afraid, lonely, anxious, hopeless, whatever, um, that that's when we have certain kinds of experiences of the divine. Um, and that is what this is describing. I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful insight by Sachs. <clears throat> All right. Here's one by uh, Dr. Rabbi Arthur Green um, in his uh, weekly Torah commentary that I'm now receiving. Thank God. And he dreamed and behold, there was a ladder, divine messengers going up and down on it. Um, and Rabbi Arthur Green is a, a neo-Hasidic teacher. Um, he is a he is a master of the Hasidic literature. He's the one who uh, translated the Sfat Emet, um, the translation I use and commentary I use on the Sfat Emet. That's not this. This is his Torah commentary. But he's he comes out of the Hasidic, the neo-Hasidic tradition. Our dreams reflect a lot of who we are and what we need to see. Life itself is the ladder on which the most earthbound of deeds and people can rise to heaven and the most heavenly intentions can be ground into the dust, right? So this is about up and down. It goes both ways. Life is the ladder. Things can go up and things can go down. What's going up and down, right? Our deeds and our intentions. The ideal of ha'ala'ah, uplifting, is a key teaching of Hasidism. Everything can be raised up revealed to be part of the divine order, taken back to its root. The right for the Hasidic masters, God is the Shoresh. God is the root of all things, including our soul. That is the essential task of the devotee, raising everything up to its source, finding the one within it. All the life of the mitzvot is a training course for this way of living in the world. Sometimes, Indeed, we need to descend for the sake of ascent, reaching down into darker places in the world and within ourselves in order to raise things up and restore them to the light. But everything heavenly can be dragged down as well. The Hasidic sources teach that all our basis desires are distortions of divine qualities implanted within us. It is our task to discover them as such and to turn them around. This is the work called Tikkun Hamidot, an essential part of Hasidism. Midot, of course, are um, spiritual characteristics. The angels going up and down on the ladder remind us that a fall is always possible. We are God's messengers, Malachim, on the rungs of the ladder, and we are always moving, whether up or down. The angels in the dream are never standing on the ladder, but always moving. The ladder's rungs seem to be made of glass. If you try to stand still on any of them, you are in danger of falling. Then you have to begin the long climb back up. <laughs> right. So, so a warning, um, right? And also hope available in every moment. And every moment things are shifting, say the Hasidic masters. Everything is always shifting. Our mind is always shifting. Our thoughts, our intentions, what we do, what we don't do, how we speak to each other. It's happening all the time. And we can take darker impulses that are, all of them have to be of, of divine origin because there isn't anything that's not of divine origin because there's nothing other than God, God forbid. 
but we twist them. We twist those divine qualities that are implanted within us. It is our task to discover them as such and to turn them around. So when we get impatient and snap at somebody, we are supposed to understand that impatience as a divine quality. <laughs> Maybe it's zrizut. It's a, it's a impulse to do something and it manifests as impatience. So we need to take a deep breath, understand obviously something is wanting to happen through us and we need to turn it around and live into it as a divine quality again. And we can think we're all saintly and all about something amazing and fantastic. And it turns out that our Yetzer Hara, our not so great inclination has taken over. And what we thought we were doing, preparing a lovely sermon for the high holidays becomes all about ego. Did they like it? How much did they like it? How many emails did I get? Uh Uh-oh, somebody's mad about it? How could they be mad at that? I worked so hard. Don't they know I'm trying super hard? How could they, right? So something that turns out to be um, of our ego and of the Yetzer Hara started out as something noble. Both happen all the time. That's what going up and down means, according to this Hasidic interpretation, And what our task is to every time it goes down is to raise it back up and to be careful, to be aware of when it starts as up and starts to go down. Then we have to be super aware of that. Okay. Rabbi Lawrence Kushner wrote a whole book called God Was in This Place and I, I Did Not Know. It's a fabulous book and it goes through all of the Meforshim, all of the classic commentaries on this text, all of them. The whole book is on this text on the ladder and the vision. That's the whole book. It's a beautiful book. So he says from that book, consequently, they who cleave with all their mental powers to God, they have lost their existence. I mean, this is the Anochi business, but I, I did not know. He's commentating, commentating. He's making a commentary on that line. They who cleave with all their mental powers to God, they have lost their Anochi. They have lost their existence like a drop which has fallen into the great sea and has come to its root and therefore is one with the waters of the sea and it is not possible to recognize it as a separate thing at all. <coughs> this is what's meant by Ba'anochi Loyadati. I was not aware I was a me anymore. I'm a drop. In the ocean, yes, but I'm a drop that has dissolved into the ocean. What Mark was talking about, literally the oceanic metaphor. Um, and that is how we are able to have um, these experiences. And he says that's what Torah is pointing to. Rabbi Shefa Gold here is going to the next part right after the dream. When God promises Yaakov, um, I will give you like all of this place, but God is called the place. So she's playing with that. I will give you Hamakom, the place. Who says that? Hamakom, God, the place, right? Beautiful. It's beautiful. I will give you Hamakom. And who's talking? Hamakom, the place, capital P. The land of your life. That's what the place is, says Shefa. The land of your life to possess, to know, to inhabit, cultivate, refine. 
The awesome place that I give you is none other than the house of God. I live there at the heart of every molecule. And I will shine out through the windows of your own eyes when they are open to this truth. And this awesome place is the gate of heaven, connecting all realms and dimensions, heavens and hells, connecting you with your wildest dreams and with you. I do not promise that it will be comfortable or that you will not suffer. I do not promise that you'll never be hungry or feel despair. I do not promise that your heart will never be broken. My promise is simply that I am with you. In your suffering, your hunger, your despair, through your wandering, your stumbling, your confusion, I am with you. Anochi imach. Even when you feel abandoned. A beautiful, beautiful uh, interpretation by uh, Rabbi Shefa Gold. Um, we're going to be sitting in mindfulness practice shortly. Um, I know we're at 11 o'clock. So um, R- Rabbi Larry Bach um, says that what this uh, dream really is, is exactly what happens in mindfulness practice, right? That thoughts come up and go down, come up and go down, come up and go down. And we are the sulam. We are the ladder. Our sit bones grounded artsa, right, towards the earth in the chair. And our minds, right, opening towards the heavens, our Rosh, literally, that's what it says of the ladder. The ladder's Rosh, its head is towards the heavens, right? So our head is oriented towards the heavens when we sit in meditation. And that that is exactly what's happening is that this is, Yaakov is, is in mindfulness practice. Of course, of course, that's what's happening. His thoughts arise and decline, arise and decline. He is the Sulam. I take note of the rising, the falling, the aliyah, and the yerida that happens with me in each moment. My breath, my body, my thoughts, all malachay Elohim, all messengers of Elohim. May my practice bear fruit in moments of chesed. May I awaken to awareness and to awe, right? When we sit in meditation, often, right, what we're aware of is awe coming up, that we exist at all, that any of this exists at all. We sometimes become aware of how incredibly awesome that is, but only when we get out of the way, right? <clears throat> only when we allow um, awe to arise, and that is work. It takes work, people. All right. So um, I'm going to close with Rabbi Larry Kushner. I love this quote. So that's what it's all about. You put your whole self in. You take your whole self out. You put your whole self in, and you shake it all about. The idea is that by doing whatever you're doing with all of you, you can then take all of you out. The trick is how to do both. Life, according to Kushner, is essentially, yes, the hokey pokey. You put your whole self in, you take your whole self out, and that is the work, people. How to do both at the same time, putting our whole selves in, and taking our whole self out, um, shaking it all about. That's what we're doing. That's what we do here together every Friday. <laughs> so I'm leaving you with the wisdom of the hokey hokey. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, 
www.ourki.org.